They say there's no light that doesn't cast a shadow. But the people who say that have never been outside at noon on a summer day. It's a fleeting moment, but it's there. Everyone says it's always darkest just before dawn, and that too is a fleeting moment. I collect these moments you see. Snapshots in time, meaningless by themselves. I'm the detective who stands between worlds for cases that span the spaces between spaces. These are the Gossamer Gumshoe Files. It was a miserable morning, April 10th, 2015, rainy and foggy. April showers brought May flowers and I was banking on a hell of a lot of flowers. My conversations with Siobhan had been going well. We'd been playing chess online for the last few weeks. I'm an awful player. The problem I have with chess is that you can only move one piece on any given turn, and my preferred strategy in any situation is to make it so messy that no one can see exactly what's happening. Additionally, I don't like a game where both sides can see exactly what's on the board. That's not how the world works. 90% of any encounter is figuring out what actually is on the board, and then figuring out how to move after that. Or by moving a piece that someone didn't realize was on the board. Or by creating a piece out of things that weren't pieces yet, and then moving it. The fact that Siobhan O'Malley was an immortal fay who ran the Philadelphia naming market, giving people the chance to throw away gender dysphoria with an altered true name, and charged interest that basically amounted to minor worship, and that I was a completely indecipherable detective whose entire existence was a question mark didn't really factor in. Today, Siobhan had decided to be a five-foot-three, red-headed, freckled woman. She stared at me over the Discord conversation, and she said, No matter how many times I look at you, I know your form is pleasing, but I can never quite say exactly what you look like. No matter how many times I listen, I know you sound pleasant, but I can't describe it as anything other than something I find comfortable. You're the fucking worst. I shrugged, moving a pawn. I said, Oh, so it's so terrible that you like me. Siobhan took that as a challenge, smacking her computer chair. It's terrible, because no matter how I change, I have to become something. How do you... How do you exist as nothing? As this void? I considered that. In all this time, no one had ever seen far enough into me to be able to ask that. But the way she'd asked, I'm not gonna lie to you, it hurt me. It hurt me real bad to be asked that. There was a lot of history in that question. So I pressed my hands together and I leaned back in my chair. I took a deep breath. And I counted to ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 
I reminded myself that she didn't know, and that she couldn't know. I said, Siobhan, consider what it's like to become nothing, to become a void. No one will ever love me. They always see me as the detective. The name has power. I'm always trusted. I'm always, on some level, feared. I'm always the outsider, and that means I can see the truth of a situation where someone else cannot. But it also means I have no people, no friends, no lovers. Any family ties that I had were erased when I took the name. All but the most magically powerful people that I knew in the past have forgotten me. I am forever and always alone. To become nothing, I have nothing. Ultimate freedom, ultimate imprisonment. Siobhan's eyes went wide. Her hand reached up to the camera like she was trying to touch my face across space and time. I hung up the call. I reached onto my desk and pulled out a dossier. Not a nighttime investigation, just a basic divorce case. Husband thought his wife was cheating on her. The contract was signed. I wasn't technically starting it until tomorrow. And I'd be following her around all week, but I needed to blow off steam, and there was no time like the present. The file. Clara Miles, wife of Arthur Miles. He thought she'd been seeing someone on the side. It was bread and butter and private investigation work. Well, I might have started doing work to walk the line between the normies and the supernatural community, protecting one side from the other. I couldn't do that at all if I wasn't getting money from regular, everyday normie gigs. I had her name. I had all her pertinent info background check didn't turn up anything awful, and apparently she'd been hitting the Brewmaster's Cauldron in South Philly. Apparently, there was one hell of a quizzo game there she hit with her girlfriends. Catch being that Arthur Miles had run into both of them around the time of the game in question, and they'd never heard of any such game. So I was hired, standard rates applied. It was nothing I hadn't seen before. Credit card charges did show that she had gone to the Brewmaster's Cauldron. She'd also been to a few other places in South Philly. The pattern was clear after about ten minutes of looking through credit history. She was going to the Brewmaster's Cauldron, just not with anyone her husband knew. But like all good private investigators, I was thorough. Based on credit history, Clara was like clockwork. She'd be ordering a hard domestic, some beer with 12% alcohol, and I didn't get it. Why would someone drink something that hard and bitter? But then I'd been to a few beer bars, and it was an in-house concoction that the Brewmaster's Cauldron website referred to as the warts and all. Cute name, but the effect would be devastating. Truth be told, I was curious. The recipe involved cinnamon, oranges, and nutmeg and I could always be convinced to try a microbrew here and there. I'm more for wine, though, to be honest. 
Right, right, I'd gotten away from myself. The point was, Clara was like clockwork, and tonight, at 6.15pm, she'd be at the brewmaster's cauldron ordering that hard domestic. So I found myself taking a bus and ignoring a call from Siobhan. After a relatively short ride, I was at the brewmaster's cauldron. Really, it was the name that should have tipped me off. But after the Coven collapse of 2012, identifying where people had gone and what had sprouted up in the aftermath was something of a crapshoot. The moment I stepped up onto the sidewalk, I could smell the magic. I stared up at the sign. A really big cauldron labeled in papyrus font, The Brewmaster's Cauldron. How the hell had I not seen it before? I mean, the reason was obvious enough. After the Coven collapse, everyone was either dead, hiding, or knew best to stay out of town. Even the sorcerers had taken one look at what had gone down and made themselves scarce. Abandonata might work for the PUP, but he had the good sense not to go into Philadelphia proper if he could help it. It had been three years, and everyone was waiting for the next PUP raid. I remember the night I became the detective. I chose to become what I am, to solve what I thought would be the first and last case I'd ever take up. Where was Alina the name stealer, and what did I have to do to kill her? But the other case I'd taken after that, that I'd never truly solved was who had caused the Coven Collapse. I could pinpoint individual responsibility on specific figures, but I never answered a key question. Who tipped off the PUP as to the location of the University City Witches? These were old questions. Forgotten ones, as I'd decided on bigger fish I'd needed to fry and found myself taking other cases along the way. I stepped into the brewmaster's cauldron. It was built with hardwood floors to make sweeping easier. An old bar trick. All you had to do was spread sawdust if someone puked, then sweep that up. The minute I walked through the door, I could feel the presence of another witch. This place was like my office, a place of power, whether anyone realized it or not. The lights were dim enough and the action loud enough that the patrons would have to get close, intimate, to see each other and share conversations in the soft light of the overhead lamps. It was a place filled with the warm shadows of soft laughter and gentle kindness. It was... In a word, a good bar. Well, that was three words. How much do I care, though? The kind of place people want to forget their troubles and maybe find a new friend. I wasn't looking for friends right now, though, or trouble for that matter. The thing was, I'd gotten patched up a bit with the help of Amy Elmore, but her power was affected with an enhancement of someone's natural healing, and my rib was still damaged from my last case. So I'd be taking it easy. There was just one catch, though. Claire of the Passage had told me about this place. 
Hunters and hunter-adjacent individuals hung out here. This could get rough if I didn't play it quiet. My phone was buzzing. I felt it around my still-injured rib. It was Siobhan. I didn't have anything to say to her then. I declined the call yet again. What was I going to say here? Hi, I'm the detective. I'm a walking black hole, and I'll never get to feel like a complete person again. You just poked into the fact that I'm afraid that I will never, ever get to be known again, because I, in fact, can never, ever be known again. It wouldn't be a good conversation. Anyway, I got a table in the back of the bar, and I waited. Fifteen minutes after I arrived, Clara Miles arrived, a short, peachy blonde with a bob cut and thin-rimmed glasses that made her look like a librarian out to party. I tried not to let it bother me that I was in another witch's stronghold. Frankly, I was jealous. Mine was basically an office and a bedroom, and its defenses were based on obscurity. Everything beyond the bar registered to me as a wall of iron. But what kind of witch would run a bar? I mean, historically speaking, the witch's hat came from the ancient traditions of the alewives, women brewers who would work in ancient Europe and would wear their enormous pointed circular hats to stand out in the crowd. And people would flock to them. They'd brew your beer and other things. So, of course, the Roman Catholic Church accused them of witchcraft and a large group of male brewers who wanted to push women out of their space back to the play. Next thing you know, the hat, the broom, the cat, all symbols of the alewife who'd brewed the most fantastical of drinks, were synonymous with the witch. And, of course, some of them might have been witches, but mostly it had been about upsetting the social order so the church could maintain control over the region. And that iteration of the Roman Catholic Church, as always, thought the best way to do that was to put the men in charge. I want to make something clear. I have no issue with religion as a whole. The problem is that once you gather enough believers together, they all start asking which portions of their text take priority. And then they start asking how they can use their texts, instead of to guide their lives and ease the pain on their souls, to instead strengthen their political machinations. And result, a lot of dead women. But as I saw the beer getting passed around the brewmaster's cauldron, I could smell the magic in each glass. This was a witch of community. Of all the types of witches that existed, a witch of community took the most important duty of any witch to its extreme. We all exist in some way to protect our community, but they felt the fundamental flow of people around them. The more that people moved and interacted, the more powerful they became. An alewife witch of community, surrounded by bar patrons, feeling the secrets pass on the lips of each glass, gaining power from each patron moving through their space, feeling everything across a web of people that stretched across the entire city. So as Clara Miles sat down with a handsome young man still clearly in college and I snapped a quick photo, I tried not to 
be too surprised when a drink was set before me. Whoever this witch was, they knew I was here. I did not partake. My phone began to ring again. Siobhan, who I did not want to speak with. I declined the call. Regardless, I had my paycheck for the night. I kept snapping photos as Clara kissed the handsome man. And I used my micro camera to call it a night. My job was done. I stared down at the drink and I felt a mind connect. It was a very familiar feeling. I'd done it to a bandanata myself not too long ago. The beer had no head, no foam at all, and that meant it had a very reflective surface. Probably a lager by the color. I could drink a lager, but that wasn't why I wasn't drinking. Inviting an alewife witch of community into your life by drinking their brew could be dangerous if they weren't on the up and up. It was asking to be cursed. But the face of a figure not far from here appeared in the glass as I opened up their connection with me to be a two-way line. They said, Hello, detective. I think I've heard of you. I said, I'm not letting you in. I've done what I came here to do. You're new. There was no alewife witch of community during the Coven collapse. They said, you are correct. I am new. I'm thinking of building something new while I'm here. I shook my head and said, Great. Yeah, that's great. No concern of mine. They said, Why wouldn't it be? I said, There ain't no coven that could have me. I have no name to share. I can never stand with a circle because I can't be named within one. No home, no people, no community. That was the curse of the detective that came with its blessings. They said, Well, you are still a witch. You deserve a voice. Besides which, now I seem to have a fey problem. Siobhan walked through the door. Of course, she could track me down. She had the magic. It wouldn't be hard. What concerned me was the ten-ton palooka who never skipped leg day, who immediately stepped behind the wispy form she'd chosen for today and pressed something into her back in the middle of the crowded bar. I snapped. You don't have a fey problem. You tell your man to let go of her and send her to my table. Siobhan's eyes went wider. She went paler. She was fey. Potent and powerful, but I could almost feel the iron across the way. There's never been a fae that could use their powers once iron got involved. The witch said, Did the fae get into your head? They're known for doing that. Drink my brew, it'll banish any curses she's laid on you. I pinched the bridge of my nose as the beer in front of me started glowing. There were two possibilities here. Either the alewife community witch thought that Siobhan had really done a number on me, and they were doing me a favor. Which, yeah, they have a rough reputation. 
it's an easy assumption. Or they just wanted to get inside my head with a brew that would let them charm me just as badly as they were saying Siobhan must have charmed me. The ten-ton palooka was leading Siobhan toward the back of the bar. I had maybe three seconds to make a choice. I stood so fast from my chair that it fell behind me, the clatter catching the attention of half the bar and Siobhan. I held out my hand. I was a witch of worlds. Moving yourself through space and time without preparation could be difficult, depending on the distance. Now, trading positions between two items of identical weight and mass in space and time requires nearly no preparation, especially across short distances. As I am the detective, I can choose to, within limits based on the physical world's reality, be different things. And right now, I needed to be five foot three and the exact weight of the object I was moving, one Shaban O'Malley. Such a minor change was not difficult. Perspective shifted and she was standing at my table with my drink, a chair still clattering behind her and I was a small detective being manhandled by the ten-ton palooka with an iron knife behind the bar. As he realized that something very different was now in his hands, the big man rushed me into a back room trying to get me by before anyone realized what was happening. Siobhan had a choice to make too. She made the right one. I heard a voice like chimes at midnight in my ear. The fey whisper crossed the distance between us, and the words that struck my ears were hopeful. I'll be back for you. And she was gone. The ten-ton palooka finally realized he wasn't holding onto a wispy fey woman, just a wispy gossamer gumshoe. A six-foot-three northern alpine German mountain of confusion thrust me against the backroom wall, trying to think his way through what had just happened. I felt that right in the still-damaged ribs, groaning in agony. Servers were moving in and out, somehow completely unaware of the confrontation as Palooka held me at knife point, and that made sense because every single one of them had pounded down a community witch alewife's brew, and it was a small trick for her to order the network formed from it. Don't notice these two. Palooka said, You think becoming weird is going to slow me down, you fey bitch? See, what it comes down to is this. I still say son of a bitch as a force of habit. But I try to avoid insults that are explicitly gendered because it effectively diminishes the humanity of half the population. And this guy was definitely going on the shit list. But I was in another witch's stronghold. And the flow of this place was like an eddy in magic, a soft whirlpool formed from a mass of people in place of power. It was all psychic flow. Everything people were feeling at the bar magnified. Their lust, their enjoyment, their sadness, all ephemeral, like spider threads. This wasn't my kind of magic, but I had enough flow to do what I needed, even with my ribs in flaming agony. 
I grasped the flow of magic and I gave it a twist. The ten-ton palooka blinked rapidly as he could not find the knife that had been in his hand a moment ago. His expression turned to terror as he felt the sharp prick right on his prick. He glanced down and his knife had vanished from his hand and was now in mine, exactly where he didn't want it. I reached up and took his collar in my off hand and pulled him down so I could whisper in his ear. I said, I'm not her. I'm someone who is much, much more dangerous at certain distances. I slammed his head against the wall behind me. Then I kneed him in the groin. Then I slammed his head against the wall again. Then I elbowed him in the temple, ringing his holy fucking bells. And then he collapsed. I stepped on him as I kept walking past to the brewery, clutching my damaged ribs as I did. It felt really good to throw my knee and elbow into this guy, but every motion had shifted my body right along my core where I didn't want to. I couldn't breathe for about ten seconds there, and I forced air into my lungs as I squared my stance. I had walked into this. It was my own damn fault, but I wasn't going down like a punk. I felt the voice of the Witch of Community all around me. Not bad, detective. All that for fey garbage. I snapped and I said, You call her that again, I fucking dare you. The voice replied, Ooh, scary. Got a thing for the Fae? Dangerous for someone meant to protect a community. I tossed aside the knife. I don't use weapons if I can help it. I opened a back room door. Several massive brewery vats lay before me in what was probably an automotive garage once. And it was a good retrofit, really. The massive steel garage shutter could open and close to bring in new brewing supplies. Import and export kegs, it was pretty standard, really. Sitting in a magic circle made of oak barrels was a woman in a traditional, circular witch's hat but grown with beautiful hop sprigs. This was a modern alewife who'd put her magic into everything she did. I could respect that. Her colors of choice were green as she adjusted her own matching trench coat covered in barley sprigs. She seemed timeless, ageless in her circle made of barrels, all with inlaid ivy carved into their sides and all through the ground around her in that circle. It was the occasional roses that jutted from the vines that got my attention. The detail work was incredible. Her tanned complexion peeking at me from under her hat as she shifted in an ancient rocking chair, with tufts of curly black hair barely visible. Beneath the shadows, I could barely make out her blue eyes glinting at me with contempt. All around us, brewery workers were walking about, cleaning, moving kegs, performing various tasks, and I wasn't just up against the witch, but her staff could be sent against me at any second. I considered my situation. See, a witch of community was considered to have soft power. When you looked at the different kinds of magical power you could wield... 
But there was strength in softness. And just because she couldn't drop a wall of fire on my ass didn't mean she couldn't just order the entire room full of brewery workers to kill me. Or convince me that I was twelve again and that I'd shit my pants in soccer practice. This witch had carefully cultivated her place of power, her position of community, and had turned it into a place where at any time she wanted to pull on the flow of magic, she had a nearly infinite supply of options to utterly ruin my life. I could snap that flow for my benefit, but this was who she was, and what she'd chosen to be. If she snapped the flow, I'd be buried. From inside my coat, I pulled out my regular highball glass of whiskey. It glittered in the light as the glass shifted in the bottom of it, like a drop-hitting surface of a lake trapped forever in time, moving ever so slightly, gently flowing in response to my call. This was the focus for my power. I was a devotee of the cup, and I was walking into my first real, serious magical duel in quite some time. So I decided to try honesty instead. This wasn't a fight I wanted. I said, Siobhan O'Malley runs the naming market, it gives people who don't have a chance to have the body they want feel valid in their own skin only asks for a small premium in return. I check her books and keep tags on her. It's a legit racket. Helps the community and helps people in a way that they can't get anywhere else. The witch stood. She was nearly six feet tall and she pulled up the sleeves on her trench coat. She had powerful arms and it made sense. Brewing is hard work, especially when you're dealing with bats. She said, yes, because trading and altering true names does not have consequences. Why she wants to let people pretend to be something they're not, I can't say, but it can say that she's up to something. Now I can put a face to a problem. People talk, detective. The naming market is unnatural. They say it's a perversion of nature. I'm inclined to agree. I considered that. Well, honesty had backfired hard. I shifted my position and flexed my hands as different brewery workers started sizing me up, coming out from behind the vats to surround me. The problem with witches was that they were squirrely, independent, and each had a different moral stance on what it meant to protect the community. It just so happened that this one had outdated opinions regarding true names. I brought up. Doesn't matter how happy it makes people to have a body they're comfortable with, it's unnatural. That's certainly a stance. Incidentally, what do you go by? No point in asking her to give me her name. We both knew better. The alewife witch of community said, Call me Rose, and any time you alter a true name, you're twisting the fundamental fabric of reality. A witch should know better. 
She was quite the self-righteous asshole. I wondered, briefly, if this was how I sounded to other people. Finally, I said, You and I both know that if someone wants to alter their own true name, it's an arduous, painful, agonizing process. If a fae and fae are all about naming decides to do it for them, it takes all the philosophical bullshit hand-wringing you just did and throws it out the window. You're not here to argue that they're actually dangerous or that anyone is at risk. Nah, you're here talking about shutting down something because you don't like how it challenges your view of the world. And you know, I take exception to that. Philadelphia doesn't need a witch like you. Rose said, I am Briar Rose, alewife, witch of community, champion of thorns, master of whispers, the grapes of wrath and hops of honor. The taps of the barrels around her exploded, sending frothy ale flying about the room. The brewery workers all around me cracked their knuckles and started loosening up as I was blinded in the explosion, and then I heard her say, Who challenges me? State your name and title that we may face each other in honorable combat. Let heaven and earth alike witness our contest this day. And that was her trap. Community is about names and titles. And this was the simplest trap there was. I had already told her I could stand in no coven or circle, as I had no name to give. And in a challenge between witches in a sacred space, prepared by a witch of community in her circle, in her fortress, by her will, I was compelled to give a name and title before any contest. And again, by Rose's will, Coven Law, the power of community was now in place. To deny that law was to face escalating penalties based on how powerful the witch of community in question was. I'd once known a witch of community who pulled this exact stunt on a wraith who'd attempted to assassinate him in his place of power. The Wraith, a creature of darkness with no name, unable to comply with the demands of community, had been obliterated out of turn by the sheer power of unbridled society. I could feel it weighing me down already. It was like getting an elephant dropped on my chest. Just how different was I from that Wraith, in truth? I knew then and there. I could die in this very moment. I felt my phone vibrate. It was Siobhan. I held up a finger to Rose and said, One moment, please. This is important. If I'm going to die, I get a last request, and I'm using it to take this phone call. And the whole world paused. Rose stared, dumbfounded, because yes, it was within my rights to have a last phone call as a final request if I was going to die. Rose could create and enforce rules, but they were always based on courtesies, traditions, and codes of honor. That might be my only way out, if I could only find a way to use that to defend myself. Except that was the thing. I couldn't think of a single way to use that to get out of this. 
I had to give her a name and title. That was Coven Law. And I was technically still a witch, even though I'd become the detective and had everything she'd just asked for consumed by the nature of the mandate which I wore. I was about to die by technicality. The brewery workers all took a step back, but I was well and truly screwed. I couldn't escape, and I couldn't give a name for the challenge. This was the end. I had a glittering highball glass in one hand and a phone in the other, and neither had the power to stop my death. I took the call. Siobhan immediately said, Detective, I am so sorry. I didn't understand what I was saying to you earlier. I said, I know. Siobhan said, and I feel awful about it, so I kept calling. I said, I should have picked up. Siobhan said, you had every right to be angry. I stumbled into the middle of a case. I said, I was being a dumb shit. Because I was. I said, I don't have much time. I'm about to be technicality to death by the power of community because I can't say my name. Siobhan, I want you to know. Yeah, I was mad, but none of this is your fault. You're a good person, and if I die here, I want you to know that Rose here is a alewife witch of community, and she's coming for you. Because you're clearly a threat to the community because you disrupt the gender binary, which is fucking ridiculous. Siobhan said, Technicality to death, huh? I said, yeah. Of all the ways to die, I'd prefer it was the duel, not the fact that I have no name for one. Siobhan said, No, no, I like playing shitty chess with you. This is not how your story ends. Boom. The garage door beyond the brewing vat slammed upward, and Siobhan O'Malley, backed by three green, angry, ten-foot-tall, lichen-covered, twenty-ton bastards of Philly, waltzed into the room with massive horns jutting out of their heads. She'd brought Tacky, Benny, and Walt, three local bridge trolls, out to play. And let me tell you from experience, you do not piss off a bridge troll lightly. I'd known Tacky had been willing to work for her, but these three combined were the most powerful bridge trolls in Philly, and they were here for business, wearing matching green slacks and massive aviator sunglasses. Every single employee of the brewery who'd been ready to kick my ass moved forward. It took two swipes from two massive stone fists, and two people were thrown to the opposite end of the room, and that was the end of that. The bridge trolls weren't out to kill anybody, and that was the only reason there were no dead brewers yet. But every single worker in the back room was forced to the side entrances around the brewery. Because when the queen moves on the chessboard, it's always decisive. Rose stared at this raw display of physical and social power, and under that massive hat of hers, I could see her smirk a little. Clearly she was impressed. Didn't help me much, though. I could feel my heartbeat slowing. I needed a name. I had to give a name. 
I had no name to give. My body wasn't working right as I was literally being crushed by the weight of society. Siobhan caught me as I started to collapse, her massive bodyguard of bridge trolls circling around us, each crossing their arms, focusing their attention all around us. We might as well have been in a fortress of our own. Again, not that it mattered. My eyes were losing focus. It occurred to me I... realized I was still as tall as Siobhan. I had made myself so light to match her. She whispered in my ear as she briefly cradled my form. I have an Alice in stock. Would you like to be an Alice for ten minutes? I didn't entirely understand what she was saying. I couldn't breathe, but I managed to nod. The contract was sealed. Siobhan kissed me on the forehead. My body shifted. I had features. I was blonde, and I blinked as I knew my eyes were brown and my jaw was more angular. Siobhan was suddenly a bit smaller, as I stood maybe three inches taller than her. I stumbled a bit as breath returned to my lungs and I could feel my heart beating again, and I understood. In Siobhan's arms I squared my stance, taking my own weight back underneath myself, and our eyes met. I was real, and Siobhan wasn't looking at me like I was a void. We held each other's hands, and I was filled with a warmth I hadn't felt in a long time, like a summer night when the crickets sang. The bridge troll trio all stepped back, sensing their need had passed, and the brewery workers stepped back by the doors to the bar, behind their champion, Rose, who'd started all this. I turned to her, and I smirked triumphantly. I announced... I am Alice, the detective, named for the next ten minutes, master of space. When something goes around, I am that which comes around, slayer of giants, the unrelenting, the vengeance of those without a voice, and I have come to do battle. Shadows flared across the room. My coat seemed to grow to cover the expanse in purple briefly, as day turned to night and all around us there were faint twinkling stars. Rose cracked her knuckles. By the power of Fay, I had been able to meet her challenge, and now by Rose's own declaration, we had a duel on her hands. Siobhan separated from me and said, Go kick her ass. And I nodded. And I tried not to cry, because I had a name again. I felt so real and alive, and I almost floated into the darkness. A purple shade with a real face to stand across from Rose in her oak barrel circle. I reached out, and my highball glass flew from the floor, glittering with starlight along its form as it landed in my palm. I held it up at Rose, grinning like a madwoman. I was going to give it to her now. Rose said, This changes nothing. This is my place of power. The question is, you're locked in a fight with me, and you're not capable of challenging me where I stand. 
considered that. She was right, of course. Shivam and the three trolls were on standby, but now that the challenge was started, the power of community meant that interrupting on either of our behalves would literally burst their brains out if they tried. And they knew it. So did the brewery workers. Not that they wanted to get into another tussle with the bridge trolls. For better or for worse, Rose's powers were over societal expectations, beliefs, and manipulating them, harnessing them, and challenging them. She could weaponize common courtesy, make the simple act of refusing to introduce yourself into a lethal choice, and introduce the feelings of everyone drinking her alcohol into the fight. And then I realized, this was her first move. She'd already snapped the flow, and I was feeling someone's alcohol-related depression. But the thing was, I was Alice tonight. And Alice was, I'd already decided, an upbeat woman. I felt the flow. Wall sockets to my left and right. I snapped hard with basic battle magic. And a stream of electricity launched from them both at Rose. She snapped back and the current fired into the ground beneath us, dispersing it into the beer foam from her introduction. Rose snapped the flow, and this time she fought dirty, giving me what she'd felt two paying customers do in a bathroom one quiet night in a moment of passion. I'll be the first to admit, it was like being hit by a truck, but I had a surprise tool that was here to help whether he realized it or not. The bridge troll, Tacky. I caught it in my highball glass, which filled with a red swirling fog, and I flicked the fog to the bridge troll like a bartender doing a fast pour. It wasn't cheating if I dumped a spell into a bystander after all. Just collateral damage. Now, bridge trolls care about two things. Their toll and eating. And Taki didn't understand anything he was getting hit with, and didn't particularly care either making him the perfect lightning rod for feelings like those. I was already tired. Even with the highball glass to light in the low, my chest was still fire from my busted rib. Fighting a witch in her own fortress was exhausting. I needed to get clever. I snapped the flow, but I did it in a way Rose wouldn't have expected. She'd never fought a witch of the worlds before, and it showed. The fact was, her ceremonial oak casks in her circle, which she was using to magnify everything she had, were potent. But it was all based on position, timing, the maintenance of the circle, and she'd carved it into the wood to make it permanent. But there's nothing permanent about a barrel. I braced my stance, snapped the flow, and pulled the closest beer barrel to me. And just like that, Rose's circle of power shorted out. She was still phenomenally dangerous inside her place of power, her fortress. But now she had a problem. She couldn't pull from the entire bar. She was limited to the emotions and community in this room. And now that she was stuck with us, our thoughts and our feelings, the situation had changed. Rose froze up. I set myself behind the barrel racing myself for her next move, but Rose just stood there. Her eyes were distant. She was lost in the moment. I knew that look, because I'd worn it myself in the past. Rose said, Oh, 
Oh no. What am I doing? She stared at me and Siobhan and shook her head. Taki said, I don't get it. What is she doing? I thought we were getting more of a fight out of this. One of the brewery workers said, Yeah, I thought we were getting a witch fight. I grinned at that and got ready to explain, but someone beat me to it. Siobhan said, The only community she has to fight with is in this room. She's made plenty of beer, each which holds different parts of society she could pull from. She could still kill you if she wanted to. But she has a problem. Pulling from the community in this room means pulling from me. And pulling from my memories means she knows she's made a terrible mistake. Rose said, You don't teach people. You don't ruin lives for fun. Siobhan said, No, I don't. I'm not Alina the name stealer, and the old stories of the terrible Fae of old can never exist again. Humans with guns rule the world now. We hide in the spaces in between. What we do now is find our way to survive. We are creatures of dreams. I represent a very different dream. Rose shook her head as the community washed through her. Someone worse will come along, she said. They'll take what you've built, jack up the price, make people bleed. You're, you're trying to do something good. You're genuinely trying to do something good. But the next person will say, how can I make the monks profit off it? And then it'll all go bad. Javon said, historically, yes. This is exactly what will happen if the past is any indication, but unless death is brought to me, it cannot come to me. I am technically immortal. I'll make as good a run of it for as long as I can until one rival or another kills me. And hopefully I'll have a plan in place for my passing when the time comes. Siobhan shrugged helplessly and said, It's not perfect. There is no answer I can give you because your criticism is accurate. But you need to understand, I'm trying. I finally understood. I said, Rose, you've been connected to your place of power for too long. I've done it before. You've been absorbing all of the opinions and beliefs of everyone who comes through your bar. And some of those opinions are fucking shit, aren't they? A lot of brewpub shitheads with awful opinions on complex topics. You haven't had much time to just be you. You have to disconnect from your life as a witch and just be yourself. If you don't, it can get bad. Believe me, there was one night where I went on a raging bender with a masked demon of darkness, an angel looking for his holy sword, and a ghost taxicab driver who was just trying to get us where we wanted to go. Took me a full day to figure out what I'd done that night when I got sober. It was a true story. There are consequences for using your power for too long. It can get dangerous. I could have ended up anywhere in the universe. I'd been lucky to get a literal angel to make sure I'd been dropped off at home. At least that's what the taxi driver told me when I found his grave. Rose nodded slowly and took off her hat revealing exactly how messy her curly dark hair was. The bags under her eyes were at least 20 pounds each. It 
wasn't good. Rose said, It's so hard doing this alone. Siobhan said, I'll forgive the fact that you nearly had me killed on two conditions. First, you work with a detective on not being magical for a while, at least enough to get your head together. And second, keep her company now and then. She doesn't get to have a coven anymore, but she does get to have friends sometimes. I said, I'll be they, and the detective, not too long from now. But it's nice to have a clear identity for a little while. Rose nodded and said, I accept defeat under these conditions. Also, you get free drinks at the bar for the night. They will not be magical in any way. It is the least I can do. I just can't believe I did that. She looked lost and hurt, and I knew how that felt. I had been where she had been before. I walked over and reached out a hand. Rose introduced herself properly, shaking my hand, saying, Rose Esposito. I nodded and said, Got it. Take the day off, Rose. Get a drink. We can talk more later. We exchanged numbers, and Rose left to get some rest. The bridge trolls, it turned out, had been promised a barrel of beer each, and the brewery workers helped them pick something they'd like. They took a keg each and called it a night. This left Siobhan and I at the bar, drinks in hand. Siobhan said, Tough night. Surprised you weren't madder at her for, you know, trying to kill you. I shook my head and said, First thing I did when I met you was threaten to kill you. At this point in my life, it's just like having a handshake with someone. Oh, well, all right. That's not true. The simple fact is, she's like a lot of witches in the aftermath of the Coven Collapse of 2012. Alone, frightened, sinking deep into her power, thinking that's the solution. It's not. But it's more important to me that I can save someone in that position than I worry about a little murder. She needed help, and we can give her that. I considered Siobhan, and the fact that she could have died by iron knife tonight. I nodded and said, I'm sorry I brought you into this. It's okay if I risk death. It wasn't okay that you were at risk. I'm so sorry. I am so, so sorry. Siobhan said, It's okay, Alice. Neither of us could have known. And once I understood her, you're right. She just needs help. We both nodded, and I felt my body shifting. My face was cracking like porcelain. I could see it in the bar's mirror across from me. Siobhan said, I'm sorry. I need to take the name back before it breaks. I nodded. Siobhan kissed me on the forehead again, and just like that. I was the detective again. Siobhan recoiled. Ah, 
she said, her lips brighter red than they should be, steam rising from them. And she said, You burn! I wasn't kidding. The detective literally would have incinerated that name. I wish I could have let you keep it. You were a very cute Alice. I nodded and held out a hand and said, You okay? I am so sorry. It's fine, she said. It's fine. We held hands, both trying our luck with some very non-magical Belgian brews. The sweet science brew, the image of a burly male scientist in boxing gloves getting ready to go at it on the bottle. Siobhan iced her lips with hers as best she could. Siobhan said to me, There's nothing wrong with being non-binary. I said, I was always non-binary, whether I realized it or not. It's not even that I became non-binary, it's that, like what nearly happened when Amy gave me, all names in true form is obliterated. I am the Void, you called it exactly when we talked on the phone earlier. My curse is that I don't get to have identity, not even you can give me one for very long. But thank you. It really was lovely to be Alice for a few minutes. It was the best ten minutes I've had in years. We hugged. Siobhan said, Maybe next time we go out, it should be without the risk of death. I nodded and said, I'd like that. No risk of death. Siobhan said, Maybe dinner after our next chess game. I said, I'd like that. And I felt something I hadn't felt in a long time. Regardless, the case was closed. Eventually, I went home and sent the info to my client, and the money was forwarded to my account. He wasn't happy, but the truth was I was distracted. I'd made a new friend, and I was wondering if I was dating a member of the Seely Court. Just another snapshot for the case files. The voice of Alice was May Bronwyn. Voxel Revolution. Misuse. The Lift. Twisted. Prelude and Action. Groove Grove, Acid Trumpet, Night on the Docks, Sax, Dee Dee Groove, are all by Kevin McLeod through filmmusic.io, used through a Creative Commons by 4.0 International License. Please support the official creator. This has been a Foam-Lined Box production. Next time, episode 15, The Moonlight Market, Prelude.